This is Christy, and we have merchandise. Go to howtolovelitpodcast.com and check out amazing t-shirts, mugs, stickers. If you love great quotes, we have some of our favorites. If you love silliness, check out our mascot, Brain Man. Go to howtolovelitpodcast.com, clip on the shop button, and find something for that person who needs to be reminded that we are fashioned creatures but half made up. Mary Shelley said that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We proudly welcome artist Samantha Sherry as our sponsor on the How to Love Live podcast, Sam is a world-class artist specializing in animal portraits. We invite you to check out her work at samanthasherry.com. Tell her Christian Gary sent you. Again, samanthasherry.com. And I'm Gary Shriver, and this is the How to Love Lit podcast. We're halfway through our pilgrimage through Paulo Coelho's timeless adventure tale, The Alchemist. We're going to be looking at the second section of the book today, and as we go through it, we're going to go back and look at Coelho's rules and see how he's applying them in this section. But before we do, I want to ask those of you who are taking the Alchemist Challenge to check in with us. How's it going? Have you had some fun conversations about sheep, personal legends, omens? We really hope you have. Sometimes it's awkward talking to our friends and family members about our own lives and ideas. But honestly, if you give it a go, I think you'll like it. If you have and don't mind sharing with us, drop us a line on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email on our website. We'd love to share your story if you'd like us to, or if not, we'd love just to hear it. We'd love if our personal legends cross paths. (laughs) Just saying, could be fun. Back to the story. Gary, where are we? Well, first of all... We, we want them to talk about sheep. I hope they talk about other things besides <laughs> sheep. But maybe. Metaphorically. Okay, they can talk about whatever they want. <laughs> now, uh, so when we left Santiago, he had left home. He had met a gypsy. He met a king. He had sold his sheep. He had moved to Tangiers. He had been robbed. He found a job with a crystal merchant and he started to learn a new language and a new culture last time. True, and before we go any further, I do think it's relevant to take a step back and visit, or at least talk about, these amazing settings. And I do want to remind you that um, settings always involve two things, time and place. We think of settings, you know, where's the story set? We're going to say, oh, it's set in Tangiers. We think of a place. But time is just as important. But in this book, it's strange because... There is no sense of time, almost at all. 
In fact, this book kind of lives outside the realm of time completely. There's no time and really no way to speak to the idea of time. And of course, this is intentional and quite thematic. Quodu is suggesting that personal legends really don't have the constraints of time. Well, how can they? No, you never have to stop dreaming. You can be 18 and dreamy. You can be 68 and dreamy. You can be 81 and still dreamy. Never stop dreaming, so there is that. However, places are physical, tangible, and in our book, quite exotic. Last week, we talked a little bit about Andalusia, because uh, when I read this book for the first time, I'd never even heard of Andalusia. I'm embarrassed to say. Of course, I have heard of Spain, but I really didn't even understand uh, the close relationship, both physically and culturally, to Morocco and Africa. I had always thought of Spain as, as being very different and far away from Africa. Gary, tell us a little bit about this relationship between these two places. What can you tell us about Tangiers, the desert? these pyramids, the, the strait that they cross? What's the concept uh, that we're really supposed to be understanding? Uh, interesting enough, if you go to the, the southernmost part of Spain, you go down to the area of what's called uh, modern-day Gibraltar. Uh, there's the Strait of Gibraltar. And, of course, if you stand on the Spanish side, you can look across the strait and you can see Morocco on the African side. So they're visually that close. So going from southern Spain over to Tangiers, Africa on the north coast would have been a very short trip. And so once you get to Tangiers and you're going to go on Santiago's mission, which is all the way to Egypt, you're going to cross the countries of Morocco and Algeria and Tunisia and Libya and Egypt. And you're basically crossing the Sahara Desert because the Sahara Desert pretty much occupies the top third of the continent of Africa. So it's everything that you think a desert is, the Sahara is that. Well, it doesn't sound safe. It's not. It wasn't (laughs) safe for Santiago, we're going to find out. No, no. So now we're going to open up our story in Tangiers. And uh, by way of spoiler, uh, should we go through the plot before we delve into thematic details? We've done it every other time and given away the plot, so why not now? Exactly. Uh, Here's a pointless aside. So today in class, we're discussing the Scarlet Letter, which, by the way, is the very first podcast we ever did. And a kid came up, well, he came into class and was fussing at me. Why did you do that? And I said, what? And he said, why did you spoil the book by telling us who the lover was before we got to that part in the story? Because in our class, the way we're doing the Scarlet Letter, they listen to we all listen to the podcast at home. Then we can come into class and we talk about it instead of me just lecturing about what happened in the book. Why well, I really didn't have an answer for him because I just said, "Oops, <laughs> well, <laughs> so much for that." Yeah, so we're oopsing it again. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so this podcast is not exactly the place to come for the cliffhanger version. You know, you're, no. we're going to give it away. It's part of developing a story. So there it is. We, you know, all that. So I'm going to give you the synopsis, and we're going to update you to the point we're going to cover today. Today's podcast. So anyway. Um, Santiago is going to sell his sheep. He's going to travel to Tangiers in Africa. A thief steals his money. Santiago takes a job with a crystal merchant, which we've covered this already. Learns important lessons on his long journey ahead. After working at the crystal shop, he earns enough money to cover his losses and returns home. But then something unexpected happens. 
He's on a desert caravan, and he meets the intriguing Englishman today. The Englishman's passion for knowledge and his quest to uncover the secrets of alchemy inspire Santiago to pursue his dream of finding the treasure as the Englishman searches for the uh, old alchemist who resides in the desert oasis Santiago falls in love with a young woman named Fatima, or as you would pronounce it with your uh, Portuguese. I, I just, Fatima, okay, that's what so, I call her. <laughs> just so our listeners understand, we're talking about the same person. Yeah. You with the cultured Portuguese accent, oh, me with no. my uh, Midwestern twang. <laughs> All right, so there we have it. That's a lot, and it is a lot. We're going to kind of cover some ground. So... Let's go back and kind of go through the story again with Quayle's rules in mind, as we told you we would do last time. So, Christy, rule number one, leave the sheep. Do we see that again in this section of the book? Well, we absolutely do. And he's kind of changed the definition of sheep a couple of times here because he's going to leave several different places. In the first section, you get the impression that sheep kind of represent maybe a comfort zone, to use a cliché. Or people who are at least comfortable being passionate about nothing more uh. interesting than eating and sleeping, at things that are just really basic. But in this section, we're going to look at a different definition of sheep. First, we're going to see this merchant salesman. So the merchant is a really nice guy. He quite literally saves Santiago's life. He feeds him. He gives him a job. But clearly there's some things about him that Quelu is highlighting that are that are flaws or we wouldn't even be discussing them. So, Gary, uh, from your perspective, what's the problem with the crystal merchant? I mean, he's successful or at least successful enough. Why is he kind of a negative example for us? Well, I find him very interesting in the way that Quayu has portrayed him. He's just really blunt about this flaw. Anyway, uh, so there's a lot of good in this merchant. He's a hard worker. He's compassionate. He's honest. But where we see him differ from Santiago is the idea of courage. The merchant lacks courage. The boy wants to push the merchant's business forward by building display cases for the crystal And the merchant says, I've never had one before. People will pass by and bump into it and pieces will be broken. Uh, He looks at the risks and he maintains the status quo. And he's a Debbie Downer about any possibility of anything (laughs) being better. Well, it's not that, I mean, yeah, he is a Debbie Downer, but it's not even like he doesn't think it can't be better. He's just worried that it's going to cost something. Yeah, he's worried that he will succeed and then his life will have to change, which is really an interesting point the author wants to work in here. Yeah, clearly this is in direct contrast to Santiago, who has already taken a lot of risks. But Santiago tries to encourage him. He's going to say, well, when I took my sheep through the field, some of them might have died if we had come upon a snake, but that's the way life is. And that's an interesting turn of phrase. That's the way life is. In other words, well, what is life if it's not about risks? You just have to be willing to be wrong or make a mistake or lose. And this guy's just not going to do that. No, he does not want to accept that loss can happen. And this bumps us right up to the second rule, uh, which is be the protagonist in our own life. 
And, of course, Santiago tries to preach to the crystal merchant about the principle of favorability. And I find out as we read this books, this book, there are tons of rules. <laughs> There's tons of laws of the universe that come up in different situations. Here's one of them that's interesting. The principle of favorability that the universe really will help you if you'll just get out there. And the merchant listens. And then we get into the third rule, which is identify a passion, a dream, or a goal, or a motivating drive. Your personal legend. Your personal legend, which is going to be coming up often in the rest of the book. And so Santiago shares um, his desire to go to the pyramids, although he calls it a painful memory because he's somewhat stalled out. And I want to come back to this idea. I think it's true. He kind of throws a lot of these, quote, rules out there but they do kind of blend in and merge and he repeats them they're motifs so yes. his, his idea is if i say this to you enough times and enough characters and enough different contexts you're going to kind of catch uh what i'm trying to express and interestingly enough we see this again with the merchant so the merchant shares his dream he too has a personal legend and the idea is if you just ask somebody and that's the kind of conversation would be interesting to have with people in your family that you may never have asked them so what was your dream when you were my age have, have you changed it have you realized it has it stalled out because there's no shame Santiago's dream is stalled out you know that's that's part of it uh, but we find out that the merchant the crystal merchant has always had a dream too and he's wanted to go to the holy city of Mecca Gary, where is Mecca in relation to Tangiers? Well, um, according to Google Maps, you can't get to Mecca from here, so <laughs> we, we checked it out. It doesn't work. But I will tell you this. Uh, Mecca is even farther than the Egyptian pyramids, okay? So the Egyptian pyramids are on the Nile. You have to go one more country to the east to get to Saudi Arabia, and then once you get to Saudi Arabia, you have to go southwest quite a ways to get down to the city of Mecca. So it's an extremely long journey. So it's no small thing. No, it's a, it's a huge uh, pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen any airplanes in this book. I don't know if they... <laughs> no. And um, by the way, I want to go back to a, a comment you said earlier about the, this book not really having a, a setting based in time anywhere like that. And I'm wondering, is one of the main reasons why this is not based in time is because it says throughout the book over and over and over again, don't worry about the past, don't worry about the future, live in the present, live in the yeah, present, live in the present. Yeah, the idea that there is... He's beating that theme of being in the present to death in the book. Well, and it's interesting that he's taken out all technology, too. So you can't yes. even, you couldn't even try to pinpoint it by saying, oh, they have telephones or they have... Right this or they have that several different centuries that it could have fallen in yeah including this one i mean i'm i don't know but i wonder if people still cross the desert with camels you i think they do well there's still a bedouin culture yeah. out in the desert but anyway we're we're not here to discuss I know, that's that a for tangent. one reason it's because we, we don't, don't know. know what we're talking about <laughs> that's, that's right. true i've never been there uh well i think um What's interesting about the merchant's comments about Mecca is that he says, I just want to dream about Mecca. I'm afraid that it would all be a disappointment, so I prefer just to dream about it. Gary, is that a thing? What do you think about this idea that there's a certain group of people or maybe everyone falls into the temptation of just 
leaving that idea out there hanging with no intentionality or any kind of direction for something to actually happen. It's just this nebulous concept. Is, is that a thing? No, of course that's a thing, and it's not uncommon. Um, some people don't want dreams fulfilled because the dream will not live up to their dream. <laughs> that's kind of what he's saying. Yeah, that's what he's afraid of. And, of course, you know, my response to the merchant is, well, if you accomplish your dream, just pick a new one after that. It's okay to have serial dreams <laughs> go from one to the next one. But, uh, no, he actually does not want to go because uh, he's just afraid it could not possibly live up to his vision. Well, Santiago is definitely not about that plan. So he's moved on to Rule 4, and he kind of left, you know, Crystal Merchant Man back because he's out there looking for recognizing the omens. Yes. And he... And he Quaid kind of redefines what that means. Of course, he's all over the place of what an omen is. Omens can be hawks. They can be natural and natural environments. They can be coincidences. But in this case, he sees a guy complaining that it's impossible to get a drink over here. And he goes, ooh, we should sell tea. We have all these glasses. So it's an opportunity. It's an interesting idea, kind of like the muses or the soul of the universe has spoken to him and given him this idea that he's never had before and he considers it well if i had this idea it's a feasible idea it's an omen i should take it well and we had quite a discussion about omens last time what does it mean by that and so we, i think our our best working uh, operational definition is opportunity we're back to this idea of a lack of courage he says i've had this shop for 30 years i know good crystal from bad and everything else there is to know about Crystal. If we serve tea in Crystal, the shop will expand. Then I'll have to change my way of life. I don't know how to deal with change, which is a common theme for some people. So um, in this conversation about tea, it's completely confusing to Santiago. He says, every blessing people ignore becomes a curse. Another rule of the universe <laughs> we didn't know about, right? Okay, so if you have a blessing and you ignore it, it becomes a curse. Basically saying now that you gave me these ideas and I'm refusing to believe my own excuses for failure and that makes me miserable. Um, I, I just, uh, I love just kind of believing I was a victim of the universe and things were just going to be however they are. And it is kind of a paradoxical idea. So you're, you're kind of having a mediocre life and then you get this idea that it could be great, but you don't want that to do that because it's a lot of work but then if you don't do it then you're going to feel responsible because you could have had this opportunity and around around you go yes and i guess that is kind of a curse <laughs> yes it is missed opportunity feels like a curse and this will take us to rule number six which is look for beauty carry the spoon without spilling the oil and that's exactly what the crystal served in the tea glasses is all about. It's a huge hit. Everyone loves drinking tea from pretty things, and the shop expands and has tremendous success because of the combination of those two things. Well, I want to join that club because I also like drinking pretty things out of pretty glasses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's an interesting idea. Um, I love going to restaurants that have a pretty ambiance, and uh, the food does taste better if it's on a prettier plate. And I will definitely pay more to sit in a space for a meal or a drink that's, that's I don't know if it's the word attractive, but inviting, compelling. 
beautiful. There's a connection. Right. And there are many philosophers who talk about the idea of beauty and that beauty has a huge effect. Beauty begets beauty. Beauty draws beauty around it. But beauty can also expose ugly and create tension. Well, and in this case, it produced a lot of money for the merchant man. <laughs> yes, lucky for him. All right. Okay, and so uh, finally the last rule. Of course, it's as clear as all the other rules. <laughs> Listen to the language of the universe. Uh, what we discussed last time, we're going to call this intuition. So uh, after Santiago lives in Tangiers for almost a year, he knows it's time to go. And he asks for the merchant's blessing, goes to his room, and finds his Urum and Thuman. Do you remember what those are? Oh, yes. The Little Rocks King Melchizedek gave Santiago back in Spain. He remembers, when he picks them up, the words of the king when he says, If you want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it. And he kind of discusses this in the context. He uses this phrase, the language of enthusiasm. And it's an interesting idea that Quoda just introduces and kind of augments to this concept of tuition, the idea that enthusiasm is a language. It communicates without words, and enthusiasm will help you overcome bad things. It will help you achieve goals and and accomplish things that you couldn't do without it. And he kind of reminisces about all the bad things that have happened in Tangiers that he's had to overcome, but he doesn't think of it in a sad way. It's, he's kind of proud. It produces something in Santiago. Yes, it produces uh, a survivor's mentality and somebody who's flourishing in spite of um, all the odds. And one last thing I want to say about this language of enthusiasm. Uh, one of the motifs that Quoyu puts in the book over and over and over and over and over again is the language of the universe, the language of the universe. And as we get farther into this section and we uh, get to the oasis and we meet Fatima and all this kind of stuff, this theme of the universe speaking and language of the universe, and, and you should know it, comes up time and time again. Well, and it's so nebulous and he changes the definition i don't know that he changes the definition but he broadens the definition so when we're back in andalusia the language of the universe was him talking to the sheep Mm -hmm. and and then he comes to tangiers and he can't speak arabic and he you know muddles through and finds this job with the crystal merchant through the language of the universe and i got the impression that's like when you go somewhere and you can't speak the language and you're doing all these guttural facial facial moves and hand gestures and you communicate. And now he's augmenting it once more, adding this element of enthusiasm. And, of course, we're going to see him augment it again uh, later on. Right. And we're, that theme will come up consistently. So, um, anyway, getting back to uh, Santiago. So, surviving, it produces confidence and that's kind of an underlying theme in this entire book. That's what growing up is all about. That That's certainly what parenting and teaching is about. Anyway, a good parent and a good teacher are always trying to give you tasks that you can't do. They're making problems for you that you can't solve because when you do, you know, we've seen these students feel terribly confident and wonderful when they have seen their skills improve and become more confident. And that's kind of what he's saying. You know, the universe is doing that to you. So the journey is the universe's teacher, parent for Santiago, so to speak. And as we leave Tangiers and head out into the desert, 
we're going to see another structural device. So let's get a little bit literary here because this is a bit unusual. So up to this point, Coelho has been telling us the story from what we call um, a limited third-person narrative perspective. So in other words... It sounds complicated. No, it's, it's, I know it does. It's just jargon. But what it means is we're seeing the world through Santiago's eyes, but not through his voice. So Santiago isn't telling us the story, but we're looking at everything from his perspective. This is clearly his story. But what he's going to do a couple times, he does it here and then he's going to do it a little bit later on, is he's going to cut the story up. And then now all of a sudden we're looking at it through the eyes of someone else. And this new person is a new character and it's the Englishman. Now I find that just on an aside, I was reading an interview with Quedu and he says he is the Englishman. (laughs) That's who he sees himself in as the story, which I, you know, I would have thought he'd be Santiago and maybe he is. We're all Santiago, but wasn't he Melchizedek at one point? Well, you know, we're all everyone. But <laughs> uh, um, that is kind of a, a feel from this book. We <laughs> yeah. all blend into one thing. But he identified himself, you know, with this idea this is a bookish man and he's looking for wisdom and books and all that kind of thing. So uh, that's just kind of interesting. We're going to run in. Well, what's what he's going to do now is we've gone through the seven steps, or I'm, I'm calling them steps, seven rules to get santiago out of spain then we've gone through him again in tangiers and we're we he went through that whole cycle again to get out of tangiers and now the englishman is going to go through this cycle of, of being a protagonist and leaving the sheep and all that kind of stuff because it's exactly what the englishman has done he has his own journey his own personal legend and it's uh his personal legend to find the alchemist and you can tell by his inflated language that uh it's been a bit frustrating up to this point true Uh, he'd already spent a large amount of his fortune looking for the philosopher's stone uh he'd invested a lot of money and time looking all over europe uh trying to find the elixir of life which is part of the deal too and now he's in the african desert and since the Arab boy, as he calls him, seems to speak Spanish, they somehow decide to travel together. So we're back to rule number two. Be the protagonist of your own life. And this is expressed again. Santiago or, is back to thinking about his journey thus far. And he says this. Making a decision was only the beginning of things. Because he's reflecting on, on where how he's gotten to this place where he's he running. He does a lot of reflecting he for does. a shepherd. <laughs> and, but he says this. When someone makes a decision, he is really diving into a strong current that will carry him places he had never dreamed of when he first made the decision. What do you think that means? Wow, that's open to all kinds of interpretation. Basically, uh, you're at the whim of the universe whenever you make a decision. And the cliche, what is it? You don't know what you're getting into or or that sort of thing? Yes, and how can you possibly? (laughs) And there's going to come a a time later on in this part of the story where he keeps wanting to know the future. He keeps wanting to know the future. We won't tell you that part of the story yet, but, uh, but... that part of the story says you can't know the future. It's wrong to even try to know the future. You're in the current. Right. Be in the <laughs> present now. All right. So uh, rule number three is identify a passion, a dream, a goal, or a personal legend. Uh, and the Englishman definitely has that. He says, 
everything in life is an omen. So these guys, these omen lovers have met out in the desert. There is a universal language understood by everybody, but already forgotten. And they forget the universal language because of text and things they look at. <laughs> That's what he says. They, he didn't even know about texting, but I'm pop. It's a pun. Well, I want to say by text, <laughs> he know, meant books. I know. I know. Anyway, um, he says those things are making people forget the universal language. There's an interesting thought to ponder because we spend so much time on our phones. Or are we missing the universal language? Anyway, uh, he, he says, I'm in search of that universal language, among other things. That's why I'm here. And I have found a man who knows that universal language, the alchemist. Well, all that that you just said seems like all the rules rolled up into one. <laughs> they see each other as each other's omen. There's your fourth rule. So they run into each other. Oh, you're looking for this. Oh, you too. But yeah. It's fate. And on they go into the desert. And the book is going to kind of drift into a lot of theological discussions. They're going to talk about baby Jesus, the Nile. They're just going to reflect over and over on there these are several ideas. old and new testament quotations and references yeah but at the end of the day what's going on is santiago keeps making friends along the way and he's listening to their stories and coelho keeps running through these same ideas that we've kind of talked about uh through these several different characters basically suggesting that Everyone is living out a different story, but he's going to say it this way. But everyone's story is, quote, written by the same hand. So everyone in the story is very, very different. The English professor, the Spanish shepherd, the Muslim caravan driver. I mean, their lives couldn't possibly be any more different. But he's going to say, well, maybe not really. Everyone has a journey through a variety of life, life experiences, but maybe it's the same journey if that doesn't blow your mind in some sort of strange way yes indeed. <laughs> and he gives it a name and i know you you love these <laughs> he's gonna call it it's the soul of the world <laughs> so this idea that and it is you know they are kind of metaphysical in nature but the idea is that there's a positive force. Everyone has his or her own way of learning things. We're both in search of our personal legends. But there is a sense in which all of this is kind of the same story. So, or I guess, what, same song, different verse, or yes. same story, different setting, whatever, however you want to say that. And a, the conclusion is kind of drawn out in this discussion uh, by Santiago looking at the desert and he's just learning all these things about the world. He's looking at these omens. He's looking at the trees. He's looking at the desert itself. And for Santiago, the desert speaks to him. Well, the Englishman looks out in the desert and sees nothing. He's super frustrated and everything that he learns, he's going to get from a book somewhere. Well, I see you laughing at me as we discuss these terms because, um, as you know, I want terms defined. I want ideas outlined. I want you to be specific in what you're trying to communicate. And this book has none of that. It has lots of ideas about the soul of the universe, the soul of the world, the, the lost universal language. And so those are difficult concepts to keep up with sometimes in this book. Well, and I think... You know, he's not being ambiguous because he just enjoys ambiguity. These are abstract concepts Extremely. that you can't really describe in a way that 
if I were going to try to tell you what a color looks like or a picture looks like, it's almost impossible to really do that. You have to see it. So he's using the narrative as a way of artistically drawing what this definition looks like because there aren't really words that can mathematically describe it. And, you know, I think that's what the Englishman feels as a frustrating right. part. And there's also this idea that if it's abstract, it allows you to adapt it to your own personal story. Right. So. And and he's going to say that's what the soul of the universe yes. is. Yes. <laughs> okay. So back to that. All right. Finally, after all this, they arrive at an oasis uh, and it's a much larger oasis than he anticipated. It's actually a small city out in the middle of the desert. And we meet the last mentor that is really going to have a significant impact on Santiago, and that is the alchemist. And I guess that's the man who gives this book its name. Maybe. You know, the, there's some ambiguity there. Uh, who, who's the alchemist? Is it him? Is it Santiago? Is it all of us? Anyway. I think it's Cuellu, because he's, he's all the main characters. <laughs> it's true. Well, we're going to get another change in uh point of view because right when they get to the oasis he's gonna use this stylistic break and he's gonna make put us in the alchemist mind just for a minute and for a second we're not the caravan marching in we're the alchemist looking out at all these people and it appears that he knows that the englishman is coming and he's kind of waiting for him Yes, and apparently the the universal language of the universe and the soul of the world have been telling the Englishman and the alchemist they're supposed to get together. They both know this, but they can't find each other. So anyway, uh, we can't we can't say the alchemist is the last person to have an impact on Santiago. He's the last mentor, but there's one more person. Yes, there is that will change Santiago's life forever, and that is. Fatima. The girl. <laughs> oh, yes. She's my favorite. And it's with her that we will end this episode. So Santiago and the Englishman are going to set out to find this alchemist. And it's a bit of a problem because apparently there's all these tribes warring in the desert. And they have this, I, this consensus or this rule of war that you don't bring your fight to the oasis so they're somewhat stranded there which they're not frustrated at first about that because they have business they're they're looking around for these omens and these omens are trying to follow these omens and they're going to try to find this alchemist but instead santiago falls right into true love with one look i might add (laughs) he sees this girl for the first time and it's like you're the one He finds this beautiful woman, and he's mesmerized. So it says, Finally, a young woman approached who was not dressed in black. She had a vessel on her shoulder, and her head was covered by a veil, but her face was uncovered. And, of course, the boy is going to approach her. When he looked into her dark eyes and saw that her lips were poised between a laugh and silence, he learned the most important part of the language that all the world spoke the language that everyone on earth is capable of understanding. Now, see, now we're broadening out the universal language one more time. We're taking a step past enthusiasm, although I do feel a bit enthusiastic, a little enthusiasm coming from him. He says this, 
the language that everyone on earth is capable of understanding in their heart, it was love, something older than humanity, more ancient than the desert, something that exerted the same force whenever two pairs of eyes met as had theirs here at the well. And those <laughs> eyes intuitively knew this is the deal, the real deal. Gary, what do you think of that? It's just more classic quail you in the whole story. But, you know, you got to throw a love interest in there to make the story interesting. Well, it is interesting. And I really think it's one of the most interesting parts of this whole book. Uh, because Fatima is the one thing. And you think of love as being, the cliche is love conquer, conquers all. And if there is one cliche that he's going to run right into and railroad out, and it's this one. Because Fatima is the one thing that's going to have the power to derail his personal legend. Because he's going to say, wow, Fatima is more important than his treasure. That's a huge statement to make. Yeah, and what does it mean? Is he going to stop? Is this the end of the story or end of the line for uh, Santiago? Oh, of course not. There is much more adventure to be had that we'll talk about in the next time. But before we do, I want to read this comment about omens because there's a point where Coelho comes very, very close to defining what an omen is. All right? So there's a point in the story where uh, he says... The closer he got to the realization of his dream, the more difficult things became. Interesting. He was being constantly subjected to tests of his persistence and courage, but then it goes on to say, Until then, he had considered the omens to be things of this world, like eating or sleeping, or like seeking love or finding a job. He had never thought of omens in terms of a language used by God to indicate what he should do. Well, and Fatima, maybe she's a leg, uh, an omen. Maybe she's an obstacle. We will find out. Yes, we will. And we will study more vague language <laughs> in future <laughs> sessions. So, anyway, thank you all for being with us today. Uh, if you enjoy our discussion, please comment. Please follow us on our uh, Facebook page, the How to Love Lit Podcast Instagram page. We also have a website, howtolovelitpodcast.com. We have uh, all kind of teaching materials there. We want to encourage this because we are finding that teachers do like to have these things when they use podcasts and teach with them. But most importantly, pursue your personal legend this week. Okay. <laughs> all right. Peace and- out. <laughs>
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.